When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, alongside the great gangster Pete and, of course, producer Iggy Strode. It is our pleasure this week to bring you one of my favorite people in the world, the former U.S. Senator Republican from the state of Missouri, Jack Danforth, our guest in the Home Loan Expert. Dot com studios, Jack Danforth, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, online at evergreenstl.com. In to talk about the state of politics, uh, media's contribution to political tribalism, the impeachment hearings, and then also giving some of his experiences and applying them to current day events, both with politics and also some of his stories from Washington, D.C., with regard to the media. So all of that coming your way here on today's edition of the Tim McKernan Show. My guess is you are going to sit and listen to this. And if you are a Republican, you're going to hate one thing he says and the next moment you're going to love it. Or if you're a Democrat, you're going to love one thing and then hate the next thing. It's just all over the place because he doesn't necessarily march to the beat of one party's platform. And that personally is what makes me appreciate him. So I always love having him in. He is so wise. I think he is a great man, even if we don't agree on everything, and that's certainly the case. Uh, he's he's an Episcopalian priest. Uh, I'm a godless heathen, and yet somehow we come together and uh, have conversations with mutual respect. In the HomeLoanExpert.com studios with me at this moment is one of our sponsors. He's been a sponsor from the very beginning, and he is my insurance agent. Ladies and gentlemen, the great James Carlton. Hello, James. Good morning, Tim. How you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you for uh, coming in studio. And uh, as the year starts to wrap up, I'm sure people are looking ahead to make their decisions, whether it be for the end of the year or for 2020. I made a decision to switch to you at the end of uh, 2018. And, and it seriously, as it happened to be, one of the best decisions I made, because I'm telling you, you saved the family. What you did is you saved the family when the basement was flooding and then you you offered to come over and help clean it up. And honestly, I wasn't even going to clean it up, much less you. So uh, I am very grateful. And that's one of the reasons why I'm happy you are my uh, agent. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. And your staff continues to grow because people are finding out how great the work is that you guys do right here in the St. Louis area in Webster Groves. Yeah, that's one of the things we pride ourselves on is having a large staff for when something happens. We want to be there for you to be able to knock it out of the park and then also to be able to advise and be risk managers for you. Because, you know, for your situation, that's not an automatic coverage that you have on your homeowner's policy. But you had the right coverage for uh, for that situation and everything played out quite well. But there's some people out there that are just looking for the bottom line price. And that's OK. Mm-hmm. But just understand when something happens happens, you know, it may not work out the way you exactly want it to. So we like to just educate the clients and they can make the decision based on that. But we, we've gotten a lot of great business from your listening audience. And they're always, you know, just a pleasure to deal with uh, and, and to grow with and, and things of that nature. So it's been a great partnership. Well, I, uh, I recommend wholeheartedly uh, not only the coverage, but also the customer service. When you call James' office during business hours, you're not going to be put into some automated system. You're going to talk to a real person. He has a staff. The staff continues to grow because this business grows because people know 
that James truly is as good as it gets in the St. Louis area. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Without our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to bring you these caliber of interviews every week here on the show. That's a tribute to our producers, Gangster Pete and Iggy. And it's a tribute to the listeners who support the sponsors. So please make sure you do. TheHomeLoanExpert.com, Ryan Kelly, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at EvergreenSTL.com. James Carlton right here with us, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency online at CarltonInsurance.net. Johnny Londoff, Chevrolet, Londoff.com. Chevy, find new roads and design air heating and cooling online at DesignAirService.com. Without further ado, it is our pleasure to bring you our guest this week, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, ladies and gentlemen, former U.S. Senator Jack Danforth. Senator, <coughs> it is a pleasure to see you again. Thank you so much for coming in. Good, Tim. Thanks. It is. Uh, it's always good to get your perspective. I really, I just, I sit and I feel like I, I listen and I learn and I want to get out of the way. That's what I want to do. I want to get out of the way. Well, you know, when you've been in politics, people at least pretend when you're active in it to be interested in what you're saying. And then when you're out of it for a long time, which I've been, you still have opinions. Right. But nobody's interested in them anymore. So you're sort of some raving guy running around trying to hope somebody will be interested in what you're saying. So thanks. Well, our audience always likes hearing your well-thought-out uh, opinions of where things are. So I'm looking forward to that. But I have to start with this, because I haven't seen you since your son-in-law brought the Stanley Cup to St. Louis. I mean, it just had to be one of the greatest experiences. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life, but you with your family and experience. You know, it it was absolutely terrific. And the parade. So... Our daughter, Mary, and son-in-law, Tom Stillman, and their three kids were on the top of this fire truck. And I, they got me in the well, so I didn't have to be, you know, waving at people. Right. But I could at least see the whole parade and the enthusiasm of St. Louisans. People were just jumping up and down, and they were so happy in, to see Tom. And so appreciative of him. And it it was really great. And then there's something about the Stanley Cup. I think it's unlike anything else. that It has almost a magical quality. Yeah, yeah. So when it was going around and people were, you know, they were having their pictures. To, we, had, we had it for one hour at our law firm. And, you know, so the young lawyers and they had their little babies mm -hmm. and they put them in the cup and it, it, was, <laughs> it was just, it was magical. It's something, you know, for a St. Louisan to watch it. I said the day of that, I remember we did a, a show and we were talking about it, that I'm so emotionally exposed to what takes place between, you know, 30 guys on a slab of ice in Boston. And if they were to lose, you're like, oh my gosh, will we ever see this chance again yeah. and then at the same time if they're to win the exaltation of course have family ties to this moment so what was it like for you going into game seven with the stanley cup on the line for your your, your son well just I, we we were in st louis so we watched it on the tv but um yeah i mean it was it was nerve-wracking <laughs> but it was exciting yeah. you know it wasn't the sort of nerve-wracking oh my gosh the world's gonna end but it was it was very very exciting yeah. to see it it was just really it was a big st louis deal 
the, you know, Tom has been in here, and he's just one of those people who, when he says it, you know he means it. And I think sports fans want to know the guy who's in charge of their organization is just as emotionally invested in the product as they are. Yeah. And he certainly comes off that way. And so for him to be the person to bring a Stanley Cup to St. Louis and these fans who have lived through some well, I'll ups just and downs. Say, you know, I mean, he's first of all, he's a hockey guy. Yeah, he's plays. still he's still playing mm-hmm. hockey, and he's 67, 68 years old, and he still plays hockey with you know with old guys. But he's still at it. He he grew up in Minnesota, so he was skating on ponds was mm-hmm. a kid, mm-hmm. and he's played ever since. He loves the sport. He's he loves our town. And he is, he really is the anti Stan Kroenke. I mean, he's, he is just, he's absolutely not in it for himself. And, um, I mean, just as an example of, of the kind of person he is. So in the Stanley Cup, they have each year, they have, you know, the names of all the people. And it always starts out with the name of the principal owner. And then I guess the coaches and the players. But it always, the like, first. And they told Tom that, and he said, oh, no. He said, no, my name is not going to be first. I want it to be last. Wow. And they said, nope, that's not the way we do it. So his name is the first. But he did not want it cup. that way. That is not what he wanted. And, you know, I mean... His office is in the basement of the Enterprise Center in a windowless room <laughs> with a stuffed turkey. I don't believe that's I mean, what Jerry not, Jones' office looks like. I mean, not like, yeah, I mean, it's not like, you know, a Thanksgiving. It's like he's a turkey hunter. Right. So he's got this stuff thing. <laughs> but it is, that is just him. He's a very, very, what you see is what you get. And, uh. He loves the sport. He loves the town, and he's dedicated to um, to having a, a competitive. You can't guarantee the Stanley every year, but he's that's what his goal is. I mean, you you've been lucky enough. We're both big Cardinal fans to see World Championship parades in St. Louis. These Blues guys always said, "If we ever have a parade here, you're not going to believe it." And it actually, I think it superseded expectations. It really brought a lot of people together. That's I, a favorite I, moment. I, so just. They said half a million people, I mean, baloney. It, it, it was because, I mean, it was just just so deep. The crowd was so deep all along the route and so excited. I, I it, it was certainly over half a million people. Mm-hmm. I'd say maybe a million. How just incredible. Yeah. And people still talk about it. And it's like, it's like two straight months of every other night. You're like, okay, buckle up. Here we go again. Let's dig in for the next two and a half hours. I know it. I know it. <laughs> it I know it. And unlike, you know, I mean, I love baseball, but baseball, you can at least chat with somebody right. during the game. There's a pace. This is nonstop. This is just incredible. Yeah, yeah. It was the best. Well, I'm yeah. so happy for you and your and your family, and, of course, the fans of St. Louis with it. Um, I watched a, a sermon, I guess, would be um, the proper way to describe it. I don't think it would be fair to call it a speech that you uh, made at the National Cathedral here yep, relatively right. recently. Mm-hmm. And I actually shared it on social media. Um, and so many people said, oh, that sentiment 
It's a beautiful sentiment, albeit if you would have made that sentiment, say, like in, I don't know, the 80s. I don't know if people would have thought it was that that outside the box. I agree with that. Yeah. But for those who have not heard it yet, and I'll, I'll reshare it, what was the what was the theme that you were trying to express in your uh, sermon at the National Theater? Well, it was it was built on a, a part of in our church and a lot of churches. Part of the service is what we call the exchange of the peace, and you turn toward the people next to you and close to you, and you shake their put out your hand, shake their hands, and you say the peace of the Lord be always with you or, or a short version peace. Yeah. Peace be peace, with you is what I grew up peace, with. Peace. Yeah. So it, it was about, okay, the ministry, our ministry as a church should be exchanging the peace with the broader community, not just within our buildings, mm-hmm. but the broader communities. But you don't go up to total strangers and say the peace of the Lord but what you do is, you, and this was the point of the sermon, you go up to just people who don't agree with you and say, I am your friend. That was really the punchline. It was, it was the importance of treating people with whom you don't agree, and particularly political people who don't agree with you politically as friends. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just really key. Oh, a little over a year ago, I wrote an op-ed in the Post-Dispatch about my relationship with Tom Eagleton, who for 10 of my years in the Senate was my colleague. He was a Democrat. I was a Republican. He was very progressive. He was not Kurds. He was relatively progressive. I was relatively conservative. But it was a personal friendship that I had with him. So the point of the op-ed was let's treat people as though they're friends. Mm -hmm. And so I ended it by saying, well, let's form a club and we'll call it the Eagleton Club. And we won't have any dues or we won't have any meetings. And all you have to do to be a member is to treat people like friends. And if you're a member of our club, I'd love to hear from you. Just let me know. And just, you know, just send me an email or something and say, you know, doesn't have to be long to say, dear Jack, I'm in Eagleton. So the next day, the phone rang in my office and this woman's voice said, hey, Jack, I'm in Eagleton. And it was Barbara Eagleton, Tom's widow. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it, it is, I mean, it's, politics is not warfare. I mean, it's not, I mean, that's the problem. I think people treat it as though, my gosh, I mean, this is this is some, you know, existential thing. I mean, everybody depends on what you think politically, and it, it's not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, and the average person knows that. Most people know, well, look, I mean, my life is much broader and deeper than what I'm hearing on right. the news programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was just the importance of treating people like friends. And it's it's a cultural thing, really. It's, if you do that, if you, if, if, if anybody just goes up to somebody you don't agree with and say, I'm your friend, it changes the whole culture. Mm-hmm. And that's the deal, you know, change the culture so that instead of everybody sort of being 
you know, you can't even talk to your relatives Thanksgiving dinner. You treat people that you know or your your uh, uh, political opposites as though they're friends, and that's that was the whole point of the thing. And it's a it's a beautiful thought, and it, like you said, it's rather simple, but it sets a foundation for discussion that you're well, not and my it's enemy. The way it worked, you know. I mean, I I spent. 18 years in the U.S. Senate, and it was really true that that Republicans, Democrats, we were friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you weren't friends with 99 other people, but you had fr- friends who were Democrats, friends who were Republicans, you were in each other's homes, you knew each other's spouses, you knew each other's children. Back in those days, I think more people in the Senate lived in Washington. Yeah, I was just about to ask that, how yeah. important that part was, because they lived. Yeah, it's a big deal, and it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's a big deal to have social interaction mm-hmm. with your colleagues so that you don't just know them as political opponents or political allies, but you know them as human beings. It's, it's a very big deal. It's something that we talked about a little bit the the last time you were on was one of the toughest elements right now to have discussions is one person maybe getting a set of what they believe to be truths from one outlet, and then another person maybe getting a, a set of what they believe to be truths from a separate outlet. And so you're not really debating the same thing because the other person goes, no, what you're saying is factually inaccurate. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't have a solution to it, but I just think that is, I don't want to call it the root of the problem, but I see it as a core issue at the moment. Yeah. It's no, it's true. It's a lot of people have said this, that in the old days when there were three news networks and there were half hour news programs at the end of the day and you had people like Walter Cronkite And it, there was a sort of a, a common understanding of what the news is, but now with the 24-hour news channels, it's too much, really. It's overload and all this business about breaking. Oh, every news. every day, every moment, there's everything breaking news. Breaking. Everything's breaking. Everything. And it's breath. It's the breathlessness about it. You're right. And and I these, also notice the anchors are kind of. It doesn't matter, by the way. This isn't exclusive to any network. The anchors kind of have this condescending, like, snarky tone. They're not delivering a story. It's kind of like, well, how about what he just said? It, or how about what not, he just said? It's, it's like insulting to the... It's political propaganda. It really is not news. It, it, is, it is a terrible disservice to the country. Not that I... Not that I don't spend too much time watching it, because I do. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I gave... I gave it up for Lent. <laughs> I gave up. I gave up the news channels, the the network news for Lent, and and so then when I'm on, say, my elliptical machine, yeah. you have to have the TV on, right? Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't. So I ended up watching stuff that I mean, it was just ridiculous, like Doctor Phil. You know, I mean, I would never ever think. Of watching, I mean, I'm I'm not putting them down. I'm sure a lot of people watch. It's not your thing, right? But I let's see. I would never say, hmm. I guess I'll turn on Doctor Phil. But if you're in the elliptical, you're looking for something. (laughs) Also, I'm not really a soccer fan. I mean, I'm glad we're getting a team here. But let's say if you know. Peru is playing Croatia. <laughs> You're not emotionally not, invested in that. <laughs> no, it's, uh, 
But I found myself, you know, for a half an hour on my machine watching Proof play Carosa <laughs> in soccer. But it was great. It was great. That was yeah. the result of it. It was yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, I was I was a ha- much happier person during Lent. I was I should have been, you know, having a penitential season, but it was quite joyful. <laughs> now, when you were in the Senate. And in all of your responsibilities over your career, did you feel like, did even, I don't know if it crossed your mind, did you feel like the media who was covering you or the network news or the local news, whatever, did you feel like there was a, there was an agenda? I mean, you're a Republican. Did you feel like it was left leaning? Did you pick up on that? Was it something that crossed your mind? No. How did you? No, no, it didn't. I mean, I mean, like anything else, there's some reporters who have a sort of more confrontational style Mm -hmm. and there are some who like you can just evoke you know a response what do you want to say and you so but it was the sense that these were a bunch of people who were just pushing some political point of view no i did not have that you did not have that do you see a time when that started to change at all it, 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 even as you were on your way out, did you notice anything? Or is this something that you think is relatively as recent? As far as the media, yeah. no, I didn't. I, I think that I think that the network news has done that. And, I mean, I during my active years, it was before social media, and I think that's done it. Yeah, and boy, I, think I that I think that the basic style in the media... And also it's become the basic style in politics is make people mad, you know, make people mad, or scared. mad. Yeah. make them mad, make them mad that they are being, and politicians do this, make people mad that they are being abused by them and the them differs, mm-hmm. you know, the them the, the them can be sort of, well, as the lefties would say, the millionaire, billionaire class. It can is very class warfare type of thing. Mm-hmm. And for this, the conservatives, it's the elite. It's the academics. It's the media people. It's what they would call the, the political class and the punditry. And these people are really out to get you. Mm-hmm. And they... And they don't like you, and they abuse you, and they treat you as though you're nothing. And people resent that. So the building the resentment has become, I guess, a political style and also from the standpoint of the media, a, a business tactic for them just to make people angry Mm -hmm. at somebody. Yeah. I, I, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong on this. I feel like the media, of which I'm a part, I can't speak in third person on this, is so complicit with what has transpired in our country. And this I'm not talking about in the Trump administration. I'm talking about the Obama administration. I'm talking about George W. Bush administration. I think it's across the board. I notice it in both ways. I, I feel like I could flip on the cable news and see the same thing. There's a sound bite, yeah. and, if it, and then the, the anchor comes back and, well, how about that? Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I used to anchor the news. I'm like... We read the story, you know, and I don't, I don't get it. And I know I could play the game, and maybe I'd make more money, but I find it to be unethical. And it's not like I'm on some moral high ground. I just don't well, want to, do, I I want to lie a, to people. It's a business model. Yeah, it is a bit. Absolutely, yeah. is yeah. a business model. Yeah. So I don't know how it goes away because it's the thing that's that's making 
<laughs> more money. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I don't either. Yeah, I, mean, I know we don't have the solutions, but I'm observing it, and I think that's the, the cause of it. Every, it's so toxic. Every day should be Lent, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> watch, you should. Watch that's Peru the next, and that's Croatia. The <laughs> that's the title of this podcast, the Peru-Croatia soccer game. All right, I am, I am very curious to get your opinion on the impeachment hearings and what is going on. What do you think? Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Jack Danforth here on the Tim McKernan Show. We are in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Jack Danforth and myself talking it over. And Ryan Kelly has been our studio sponsor, and he has been our radio show sponsor going back now almost a decade. And we encourage anybody who is in the midst of purchasing a home or considering a refinance to simply go to the HomeLoanExpert.com. They will save you money. And anytime Ryan's on the show, he said they can't believe it, but home values continue to increase while rates remain low, capitalize on that and do a cash out refi with the Home Loan Expert. He's online at thehomeloanexpert.com. His name is Ryan Kelly. We know him. We trust him. We recommend him to you. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. And our guest this week, Jack Danforth, is presented to you by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He's online at evergreenstl.com. My co-host, Doug Vaughn, as we were wrapping up the radio show today, just moments ago said, do you know Mark? And I'm, I'm like, man, we've been on the show together now for 12 years. You know I'm not going to recommend somebody I don't know. Mark Hanna is. So, so Doug's now considering. I said, absolutely. He said he's a great guy. He's a smart guy. I recommend him to our audience. I wouldn't recommend somebody to you if I didn't know them. Mark Hanna at Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I'm telling you this. Go to evergreenstl.com. And if you get on the phone with him and then you talk to him, you're going to feel better that you started to organize your financials. And that's the first step to getting on the right track, just to have somebody watching out for you. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. He's online at evergreenstl.com. He is our presenting sponsor of our guest this week, former U.S. Senator Jack Danforth. I I just think it's a mistake, you know. I mean, I think it's, I think that this should not be. It's, I think that, and and look, I mean, I, I am not, a Trump fan. That's I'm, I've been outspoken on that. I've written about it, and I don't. I'm a Republican, always have been, but he's not my idea of what our party should be or what politics should be. Don't like his style. Don't like some of his positions, but it's basically the divisive nature, the in-your-face nature of his style that I think is destructive. So I'm not a Trump fan, but. I, I think that this is not right. I, I think that, first of all, an election is coming up in less than a year. Let the people decide. Don't take it away from them. Mm-hmm. Let the people decide what they think about Donald Trump. Secondly, I think that there should be a very high bar for impeachment and for removing a president from office. It should be very difficult to do it. There should be a very strong presumption against doing it, and there should be a very high burden of proof. So if there is a dispute about the facts, and there is here, it really should be resolved in favor of the president. But I also think, and there was an editorial on this really same point in today's Wall Street Journal, I agree with it, that um, these, the two articles for the, for impeachment that they have, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, 
that is too low a bar, that is too broad, too general, to to impeach a president for. I mean, just give you an example. Okay, abuse of power, abuse of presidential power. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, for we know the disputed facts in this case, but what if that is if abuse of power is enough to to remove a president, how about, for example, reprogramming defense appropriations to build the wall mm. uh, using the emergency power of the president to do that? Is that an abuse of power? I think it is. I, I believe it is. I don't think that that was appropriate use of presidential power. Is it impeachable? Right. Should we impeach right. a president because politically we think that that is, you know, wrong? I don't think so. And then obstruction of Congress, okay. How about uh, you ex exercising executive privilege? I mean, it, it's it's too hard to define. So I think what the Senate should do, like I say, in a law case, before you even go to trial, you can make a motion to dismiss on the grounds that, that the charges are, don't, are, aren't sufficient to, right. to create a case. And um, I think it should be that's the way I think that the Senate, and I'm not sure they will. Trump wants a full blown trial. I think we should just get rid of this darn thing and, and as quickly as possible try to put it behind us. It really is awful. I have not been glued to my TV set, but I've watched enough of this to know that this is not good for the country. I think the fact that you have made no secret of the fact that you are not a uh, a fan of the the manner with which the president conducts himself, not necessarily. We, you did say there were some things that you you do like, but not across the board. That it gives it more credibility. This this opinion. I mean, not only your your resume, of course, but that you're you're not just going to be in lockstep um, with what he does or with those who are critical of him. From those from the standpoint of knowing the game, so to speak, albeit it looks like it's a different game, perhaps than say 1996. Do you think that this is all about election strategy, that that is what this is about in trying to win in November 2020, that this is why this is going forward as you observe this from afar? Because you say that the bar just does not... Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just people don't like them. They're against them from the get-go. They, you know, they called it right after he took office, the resistance. I mean, that... That was what they did. I'm talking about the Democrats mm -hmm. in Congress and other elsewhere. They called it. That was the name for it with a capital R. Mm -hmm. The the reason. So among other things, they they really blocked the talk about obstruction Congress. They blocked action in the Senate on almost everything. The Senate has done nothing. The United States Senate for the last three years has been just may as well not exist yeah. other than confirmation of judges. Now, would you that, say you felt the same way when, when President Obama was in office and Mitch McConnell said it? I think it? it's growing that way. I think that the Congress, 
the Senate particularly has given up its its powers largely and it doesn't do very much, which is too bad. It, it's no longer the forum for trying to work out political problems. But what I'm saying is that so what they did right after Trump took office was they particularly they used confirmations, not just judicial, but executive confirmations as ways of slowing down the Senate. So time after time after time, they forced cloture votes, which was very time consuming on to try to get people confirmed. And it was just a way of taking up time to prevent things happening mm -hmm. in the Senate. So there was, that was not this, going on in your 18 years. N not to this extent. Right, right. I mean, there were people who who tried to slow things down, but it wasn't just Everything. render the the institution into useless. But I mean, so my point is, is this this thing, this impeachment thing, is it just looking forward to 2020 or was it looking back at 2016 or is it just that they don't like Trump? I, I don't know, mm -hmm. but I, I think that it's, it, it really is a pretty sorry state of affairs. What was your opinion uh, during President Clinton's impeachment in 1998? Well, you see I, my, I'll tell you, my view at the time was, yes, I would have voted yes, because he perjured himself before a grand jury. I thought that was really over the top. It wasn't just the Monica Lewinsky thing, although that was pretty darn bad, but it was the, the actual crime. That was an actual crime but in retrospect i think that was i think that impeachment is so divisive to the country that it wasn't worth it mm -hmm. so i mean at the time i thought well i would have voted for it now i think mm, probably i would have voted against it so you so that's one of the things you came into and in, in your book you talk about this when you when you get to washington as a u.s senator it's on the heels of watergate and, and you guys were in a minority. What was, what, do you recall what the, the split was? Democrats to Republicans when you first got in there? It was I pretty, think we had 38 Republicans. Okay, votes. I mean, that's a substantial mm -hmm. gap. What can you recall about the country at that time as far as the, you're talking about the divisiveness? Is it comparable? I mean, you also had no. Vietnam as a factor, but it's, it, this, is, this is worse. It, yes. Wow. It, it was not. No, it was not. I mean... I mean, within the Senate itself, no, it was, even though we had nothing, I mean, 38 votes right. in the Senate is just, you may as well not have any, but, <laughs> but it was, it was a good collegial relationship. I was on the Senate Finance Committee and, you know, I remember when I, for the first meeting I went to, Russell Long, Democratic Chairman of the Committee, and um, actually it was kind of funny, but there was, they were writing a letter to the budget committee on what's the plan for the finance committee that year. And there was a little pause and I, it was my first meeting and I never met Russell Long, the chairman, famous man. <laughs> I'd never met him. And I, he, there was silence and I raised my hand and he looked down the table <laughs> at this, guy <laughs> he'd never seen before i was 40 years old he'd never seen me before 
And he recognized me, and I said, Mr. Chairman, I have an idea. And he said, oh, <laughs> what's the senator? What's the senator's idea? And I, well, I'm a Republican. I said, well, I think we should have a tax cut. And he said, how much of a tax cut? And I hadn't thought about that. So I just, the first number that popped into my head, which sounded like a big number at the time, I said, $5 billion. And he said, all right, is there any objection? Okay, that's agreed to. And I thought, wow, <laughs> what a job. This is going to be great. But, I mean, obviously it didn't mean anything. All it was was the letter. It wasn't we weren't legislating. But I asked myself, why did he do that? And I know that he did it to make me look good. Huh. Even though he was a Democrat, I was a Republican, he was this very senior person, I was this non-entity, but he believed that it was important on his committee to have the members of the committee, both parties, feel that they were part of a team. Wow. And we did. And he knew what I he knew exactly what I was gonna do, namely rush back to my office and put out a press release about how wonderful I was. <laughs> but but it was it was that idea of collegiality, mutual support, creating a feeling of of there being a team. Yeah. And that's the way it was. And now it's constant warfare and that's what the base of each party expects now. They expect constant warfare, and they got it. I think that I think I could be wrong on this. That for those in the in the Democratic bubble, I think they think that President Trump's not going to be reelected. I really think that that is the thought process, um, and then therefore the happily ever after is November 2020. No matter what, somebody is going to be disappointed in November 2020. And unfortunately, I know you're the great optimist. So that's why I'm posing this question to you. I don't know if we've hit rock bottom yet. And I'm not trying to say that from a cynical standpoint. I'm just saying that's what I, 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 I'm worried about it. That whether President Trump wins or not, I feel like it's going to be rough. What are your thoughts on, on the state of affairs post-election? Um, probably similar to what we have now, namely the uh, the role of Congress has been diminished and it doesn't do much and whoever the president is is doing the president's thing and say that the Democrats win the election and it's somebody who's quite part of the left like Elizabeth Warren, mm -hmm. she won't succeed in getting money. And it will be the same sort of, so what are we in business for? We're in business to get ourselves on the news programs and to get ourselves reelected and uh, kind of a continuation. Yeah. I know you're in a spot, and if you can't answer, you can't answer it, but I'm just curious, because you're in the debate commission. Um, when you observe uh, those who are, who are running, um, if there's anything that, that stands out to you, and maybe not even go into the candidates because that might put you in an awkward spot, but if there's anything that, because I think some people look at those who are running on the Democratic side and go, it's almost like there's two different parties 
on the Democratic side, even though they're all under the umbrella of being Democrats. And there's a bit of a, a civil war inside the Democratic Party. Yeah. Well, I am on the presidential debate commission, and we've taken a position that we've got to be neutral with regard to the presidential election. And so that's what I'll be. But mm -hmm. um, um, just speaking generally, I mean, my gosh, I just, my own view, what a disappointing cast of characters. I mean, really, really disappointing. Um, I just, I mean, let's say we're a long way from James Madison. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the quality. It's really remarkable. Back when we were a country of three million people, we had we had you know the famous. Alexander Hamilton, well, he was never president, but I mean, you think about, you think about Jefferson and Hamilton and Madison and all of these people who were brilliant and had so much to offer. And now we're a country of what, 330 million yeah. or something, you know, more than 10 times as many people. And what do we have? I mean, it, it just, I, I, I think it's a terribly unimpressive group of people. I, I wonder, and I wonder, maybe you can take yourself back, I guess, and put yourself in the position of 40-year-old of Jack Danforth who goes into the U.S. Senate, as you just uh, as told that, that story. Would you even want to run? I wouldn't. You would not? Wow, that was an instant answer. Okay. Today. Yeah. No. No, and, a lot of people ask me, do I miss it? And my answer is always the same. I loved it when I did it. I mean, I really, I loved, I loved being state attorney general. Right. And I loved being in the U.S. Senate. And I, I just couldn't, I wouldn't, could, couldn't bear it. What, what, what is it that you couldn't bear? That nothing happens. That would drive you up the wall in principle. Nothing. It's not worth. So what do they do? Yeah, what do they do? So, I mean, when I said, like, say the finance committee, we had, so the chairs of the finance committee when I was there were, you know, they were Russell Long and Bob Dole and and um, Lloyd Benson, Pat Moynihan, Bob Packwood, who had personal problems, but he was a terrific senator. And we had really good members of that committee, and we legislated and it was the whole business that you, you know, the schoolhouse rock. How does the bill become a law? Yeah. <laughs> and it did. And bills were introduced and you had hearings and you marked up the bills and had amendments and went to the floor and had amendments. And eventually something come, came out of it. It may not have been great, but it was something. Yeah. And it was the legislative process, which was compromise. I mean, that's the legislative process. You just... You know, you have votes, you get on with it. Yeah. But nowadays, they don't. They really don't legislate. So, how does the bill become a law today? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. Nothing yeah. happens. Yeah. What do they do? I wonder what they do. Well, they I think they get on, they shows? try to get on TV yeah, and get themselves reelected. <laughs> oh, right. I like hearing that. <laughs> uh, you when you were on with us uh, last time, you were talking about being a fan of uh, Josh Hawley's, and this was before he had even decided 
to uh, to run, but you you spotted somebody that you had known and you thought highly of. Um, he has now been in office. What are your thoughts on uh, on his uh, time in the U.S. Senate? Well, I mean, Josh Hawley is very gifted. He's he's a very very bright person, very very able. He has a lot of talent. Um, I have taken the position that that I'm not going to set myself up either as his, you know, critic or supporter on specific issues or things he says. I think my view of him is that I'm his friend and I've supported him and I've got great respect for him as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, With regard to what we saw last year, um, and I don't know how much this carried over, but a lot of people uh, certainly were wondering about it while it was going on it was the topic and that was the Kavanaugh hearings yeah. and that was something for you mm-hmm. because of the Clarence Thomas, Thomas hearings yeah. that I would imagine really yeah. hit close to home uh it was it's always an honor to, to sit down and talk with you and we were having lunch and you were talking on you're telling some of these stories and I was thinking man it's it sounds so similar yeah to what was that 91 right correct yeah. I'm not mistaken what were you thinking as you were watching some of the Kavanaugh? Same rerun. Same it was a rerun, yeah. No, it was it was very much the same, including, you know, last-minute charges and um, very sensational last-minute charges when the nominee was about to get confirmed. And then um, a process that, that was just, it wasn't even a process. It was, there was no fairness. There was no fairness in this process. There's no right to confront your accuser, no right to be represented by your own counsel. So you have senators asking questions in five minute blocks and they're looking over their own shoulders. How do their, what's this do for their political fortunes? And um, it's, this is something I think by Senate rule they should change this. There, there are various things they can do. I think to to change the process for confirmations, but it's it's. Um, I mean, the idea to destroy a person personally in order to win a political fight—that's what's happened. Final thought. I always, I always, I tell this to to, to Anna Marie, my wife. I say that thing that I think I admire a lot of things. I mean, I make no secret of that about you. You're like the eternal optimist, you know, loyal as can be, but always like he sees the, the goodness in everyone. And so even if I, there's some people I talk to and I get done with the conversation, I'm like, oh, that was amusing. But my God, I feel worse about the world after the conversation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with you. You always, I feel like I come away from, it, I go, boy, I feel better about things. So looking ahead, whether it be in the next year, the next five years, whatever it is, tell me, tell the audience something that you see that you go, I can, I can hold on to this. Well, we have a great country, you know, and, and we have a, we have a big country. We have a very diverse country. We have people who have strong opinions that conflict with each other. But we have a great country, and we we have a system that was created, you know, 200 and some odd years ago, 
called our Constitution, which was is brilliant. And it was constructed in order to hold these different people and different factions and different opinions together and provide a, a structure for doing that, for encompassing everybody. And so I think what's, what's, that is great. And it's a very, very big deal. And I think that the, the challenge is going to be to, as a country, to direct our attention to the big thing. That's the big thing, the system holding America together. That's the system. And we're all going to be interested in our own points of view, in our own tribes, as, as they've been called, and whatever yeah. group, and identities, and identity politics, and all that's going to continue. But is there something bigger than that, over that, that, that we can all direct ourselves to? And I think that's going to be the challenge, and it's a, it's a big, big deal challenge, mm -hmm. and it involves, you know, how history and civics are taught in school and in colleges and all that to create the sort of common sense of national purpose that is bigger and broader than our own particular identities and our own particular interests. Yeah. We've seen the country divided before, and the country found its way. So I'm optimistic as well. I just don't know what's going to lead to the change. I guess it'll have to be a gradual thing, huh? Yeah, and I think it's, well, I think turn off the TV. <laughs> but, <laughs> and watch Peru and, and watch, Croatia. That's right, yeah, yeah. But I, I no, I think that, I think that, that this broader thing, you know, and you know, so Lincoln, so Lincoln is elected and he's inaugurated in March of 1861, and the country is literally coming apart. Seven states have already seceded from the Union by the time of his inauguration. And Lincoln's mission, and it, of course, we had to fight a war, but Lincoln's mission is hold this country together. That was it. And he, he said in his inaugural address, when the country was falling apart, he talked about the mystic cords of memory that all of us have. The mystic cords of memory. This is in... 1861, the mystic cords of memory going back, you know, <laughs> less than a century sure. at that time. Yeah. But the battles we fought, the things we've gone through together, the mystic cords of memory that we have in common. And I think we've lost that. And I think we can regain it. I think we can regain the sense that that we are all in this together and we got to work it out. And we have this wonderful constitution, which was built as a structure to allow us to work it all out. Mm -hmm. So that's the good deal. But I think that, you know, if you wanted something concrete to do, think about history and how it's taught, not, not just identity history, mm. you know, mm -hmm. like, but, 
history of the country as a whole and civics and the understanding of it and to improve our sense of understanding and pride in what we have. It is quite unusual to have a country where we can all identify as being citizens and members and participants in one place and not just, you know, separate little groups that are fighting each other. Tribalism. Jack, it's always a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming in and talking it over with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. So there it is. The great Jack Danforth with us here on the Tim McKernan show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did couple of things that stand out to me from the interview. Gangster Pete, I always like your feedback as well. Um, he, he made it very clear. He is not a fan of President Trump. He doesn't hold back. He wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post in 2017, very critical of the man. And so I was, I was anxious to hear what he would say about the impeachment hearing. So here he is saying he cannot stand Donald Trump. And then he says... I think these impeachment hearings are a joke. And I think it's, and so I'm sure there are some people like, yes, good for you, taking out Trump. And it's like, and I think these impeachment hearings are a joke. And I'm sure they're like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> you know, or people are like, man, what's going on with Jack Danforth? He's a Republican. He's not a fan of the president who has a 90% approval rating with Republicans. And then seconds later, he's now saying something that I agree with, which the impeachment hearings are a joke. That's one of the things that I like about him. He's not going, oh, well, I'm a Republican, so I got to spit this out. Or I'm a Democrat, so I got to spit this out. That's what I like about him. What did you think? I found it wildly refreshing. Like I expected going into it that he would just tote the party line and I'd kind of know where he was going to be, where he's going to stand on everything. And I totally agreed with his thoughts on the media and how he's happier when he's not listening to it. Yeah. That was really Croatia. And then, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. He's not a fan of Trump, but uh, he doesn't think he should be impeached. So I thought the interview was great. I really enjoyed listening to him. That's the first time you'd met him. Yeah. First time I ever met him. Super sharp guy. And I I mean, I like how he speaks his mind. Um, I would uh, I would also say that uh, his candor regarding the Democratic presidential nominees or yeah. uh, candidates, I should say, um, I wasn't expecting that because, as I said, going into that question, I know he is on the presidential debate commission. And so he has to uh, be careful with what he says. But uh, obviously he was uh, pretty candid on uh, on that front. As well. And I thought, and I think I just, I truly at the root of everything, I really do believe this. And obviously I gather he shares the opinion that at the root of everything, if you have one set of people getting what they think are facts and the truth from one outlet and another group of people getting what they think are a set of facts and truth from another outlet, how can you possibly have a debate when two people are arguing over what is true and what is not true? And that is one of his premises for why we are as divided as we are. But as always at the end, he is the great optimist. It's a pleasure to have him in. We are very grateful for his time. And without our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to do these interviews. We wouldn't be able to do questions from the audience every Wednesday. And I think pick six is something that really at this point would be a charity. I think our sponsors would like us to just stop giving bad gambling advice. But it's all because of our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. Uh, of course, Mark Hanna, our guest presenting sponsor at evergreenstl.com, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800, online at carltoninsurance.net. Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, Highway 270 in the Washington Elizabeth Exit, online at landoff.com. Chevy, Fine New Roads, and Seth Goldcamp and Design Air Heating and Cooling, designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. For Gangster Pete, for Iggy, I'm Tim McKernan. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. 
Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.